0: You don't see me rolling up and being like, yo, I'm a remake Raiders of the Lost Ark right now. Like-
1: <laughs> Hi, and welcome to the episode of Cine Nation. My name is Brandon Sparks. And I'm Thomas Horton. And here on CineNation, we discuss film genres and the tropes and stories to end them. For the month of July, we are tackling a very big genre, a very American genre in terms of film, we're talking about the movie musical, and the movie musical has has been around for almost a hundred years now. A lot of it originated originated from the Broadway stage, um, but for this month, we're going to really kind of dive into the history of it and kind of some examples of it. But Thomas, when you think of movie musicals, what are some stuff you think of?
0: Uh, I mean, I think of I definitely think of the early uh, like nineteen forties musicals that were just kind of just stages you know these like filmed stage plays even like filmed variety shows Uh, i i also think of like the stuff i grew up with so like rogers and hammerstein movies and disney you know disney movies mary poppins that kind of stuff i i was definitely raised in a family that embraced uh movie musicals for sure and sound of music was a was a constant in my family that was one of those that my my sister had convinced everyone in my family that it counted as a christmas movie so i feel like we watched it every year <laughs> uh,
1: does it count as a christmas
0: movie they sing about their favorite things i mean uh, christmas radio stations that, that, play that, my that, favorite that, things that does all the time be,
1: that it that it has weirdly become a christmas song i do i yeah i get that is christmas really so commercial um Let's it's about about family. And no, love.
0: no, we've 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 had this argument with in my family now before. My sister says it's not necessarily a Christmas movie. Christmas is just a time when everyone gets together and has the time to watch a longer movie. So that's why she always picked uh, Sound of Music. But but yeah, and I, I I grew up going to see you know not not going to Broadway or anything. But we we yeah. my family really enjoyed like when I was a kid, we always went to like the the when the tours came to Charleston, we would go see all those. So definitely had a very healthy background in in musicals i wouldn't say i'm a broadway fanatic in any sense but but i feel yeah, like yeah. I, I was definitely steep well steeped in in musicals and movie musicals as a kid
1: yeah i gotta, I gotta thank the children's theater of tuscaloose tuscal's children's theater uh, for all the plays they put on and the musicals they put on because that was that was that was my broad my my, my musical i guess uh fix mm-hmm. growing up we didn't we didn't really i, I never went to like a touring show. Um, and the the, in the next city over birmingham was one had the touring shows but yeah uh i guess disney musicals were a big thing in like my household um i don't i won't say i was from a musical family my dad did study music though funny enough um but like uh it just wasn't really a big thing but yeah it's it's uh we we've, we've talked about musicals a little bit a couple times in the past year when we kind of did this whole revamp and know, like a year about a year ago we did the whole theater movie section mm-hmm. so some of that will kind of cross over because that we talked about Bob Fosse a lot and how he was kind of the director who like directed musicals for people who didn't like musicals with cabaret or all that jazz um, but then we talked about kind of the uh, early like backstage musicals with the uh, with the Busby Berkeley shows like 42nd street or gold diggers of 1933 and kind of that series Mm -hmm. or footlight parade. Um, so that, that's kind of how it got started because you gotta think, and this kind of, it comes in the history of the genre here is like what's when, when sound became a a thing, uh, in like 1929 with like the jazz singer and that kind of era or late twenties musicals became kind of the, First, like the basically the, the the first step of like, oh, let's add music and singing to these movies. Mm-hmm. We have we, we can now use sound. Let's do that. So that became a huge thing. So I, I looked at the one that one of the stats was in nineteen thirty alone. Uh, a year after the jazz singer, uh, I'm sorry, well, jazz singer was nineteen twenty seven. So three years after the jazz singer, I forget. It's always confusing because the Oscars were a little bit later. Um, so the jazz singer comes in 1927 um very problematic movie not that great but uh <laughs> it uh it, it does introduce saying i think the next the next al jolson uh movie i think the singing fool um i believe was the next one he did or something like that um that became like a huge hit with audiences it was like one of the biggest box office successes yeah the singing fool and until like gone with the wind or whatever like a decade later um so like everyone realized okay we gotta act fast it it kind of the comparison is like say 3D stuff nowadays but with sound it's a little different it was like basically every theater had started adding uh technology that could play sound in theaters and so by 1930 this is insane to think about just in terms of like modern numbers in 1930 there were over a hundred movie musicals made in 1930 alone (laughs) that's insane yeah jesus (laughs) So that was kind of like the studio's bread and butter of like just, just think of the amount of songs that were just written. That's why a lot of these early movies you'll you'll hear kind of like songs that repeat mm-hmm. in certain films. Um, and and a lot of it came from this like Tin Pan Alley.
0: Yeah, I was about to say that's that era when you could just kind of walk into a store and be like, "Hey, give me a give me an original song," and somebody would be like, "All right, here you go."
1: <laughs> yeah let me write real quick it's like very kind of just like not cheap but like some of these would be like very like quickly put together songs and some would become like uh american standard american standards basically in terms of musicals um and yeah so you had so you had studios like mgm um and paramount and warner brothers and uh that started started to invest heavily in musicals i mean it it it's all the easy kind of comparison is like superhero movies or big a big block like like cinematic universes or whatever is kind of the comparison of like (laughs) how every how every studio nowadays like when marvel kind of got big we have to have our own cinematic universe and i feel like the musical genre movie musical genre is kind of that way it's like we have to have our movie musical like units and Mm -hmm. mgm their big one was the arthur freed unit and free arthur freed became the big like would churn out a lot of Musicals, and he did things like a lot of the Judy Gar- early Judy Garland mus- musicals, and he would later do the big one, was the big kind of climactic moment of Arthur Freed's career was singing in the Rain*, because it was a it was all of this like, a lot of famous songs from his earlier musicals put into one big musical about the beginning of the sound era, and that's kind of a if you want to learn more about the the transition from silent to sound, I feel like singing in the Rain* is the best example of just like that's what it was like yeah like how m- most like silent film directors didn't know how to deal with with using the sound equipment and they didn't know how to block for it and that's when you have people like busby berkeley come in and kind of change the game i mean i think we, we have some
0: we have some friends who would argue that that even modern film directors don't uh don't value sound as
1: much as they should which 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 movies do you think don't have good sound thomas that's the or what would people say is Lay-Miz one of them is that is that the one people would say i mean there's some there's some definitely
0: some issues that that arise with this whole like recording live thing that has become well we can talk about this as we go on in this month but this idea that that it's artificial to be dubbed over in the studio and so you need to like capture everything live uh, and then the issue that of course Lay-Miz introduced was not only because people had sung live on set before we will talk about yeah. one of the first movies to do that which was across the universe but um the thing with Les Miz was they were being accompanied live on set as well because he didn't want the director didn't want them held to a certain rhythm you know if they want if they mm-hmm. needed to break the rhythm for for the moment and that's where a lot of issues a lot of people take issues with
1: yeah it's 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 interesting how the people who try to like i guess put their in the modern context now is how they try to put their own spin on a movie musical if it's that if it's just the song the song the way the songs are done i think a lot of the
0: responses to both of the tom hooper musicals which i i don't want to say love (laughs) for cats but there's i probably appreciate both of the tom hooper movies more than than most but a lot of people, especially yeah. with Les Mis, were just like, why even make a musical if you're going through this many... If you're going this far to be like, it's not like most musicals. Like, it's serious. Like, why yeah, yeah, Why yeah. are you even making this at this point? That's fair. I'll be very... Speaking of today's film, I'll be very curious to see. I think that uh, the upcoming remake will be a very loving approach to the genre and the film. But who knows?
1: Yeah. Well, let's talk, let's talk about that. bit. What... Where is the current movie musical today? Because that was what we kind of why we decided to do this month was like
0: we're in a rebirth.
1: I think we're in a renaissance kind of of of, of movie musicals. Yeah, I think love them or hate them.
0: Yeah, I think we're we have kind of moved past that that point where Les Mis came in, and maybe Les -hmm. Mis was important to like get us, but Les Mis definitely came at a time when the genre felt dead. And the yeah. point of Le Mis was to be like, hey, guys, like this is a serious movie. This isn't a this isn't some kind of flimsy musical. This is a real art film with music. And it was very much like a. You know, this is this is a Broadway musical for people who aren't Broadway fans kind of moment. Um, but yeah, with with something like In the Heights, um, even with like Mamma Mia, here we go again. Um, and I think, especially with just as many people in the world who just watched a straight up staging of Hamilton last year, I think a lot of the movie musical industry is going back to embracing the Broadway ness of all of it. And 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 you know, like you're saying, within the heights, in in the heights definitely opens that play up. Uh, you know, takes it from this kind of like one set play to actually inhabit an entire block of, of a city. Yeah. Um, but it also allows them to do these these kind of more fantastical moments. And there are the scenes like with the ninety six thousand or with uh Benny and Nina dancing when the, on the, yeah, when, when the sun, side go, of when the the sun building. goes down. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It,
0: it does allow for these kind of like uh and and this is something we we'll, we can talk about all month is this idea that that yeah. stops a lot of people from getting into this genre is like why are they singing? why'd they choose now to sing and that is the that is the first conceit of this genre is like sometimes something you can talk you can have dialogue but at a certain point something becomes so emotional that you have to express it through song and dance and you have to be open to that to buy into the entire genre and i think for a little while in the like 2000s everybody was like "Ah, i don't know about that i don't i don't know about all that and and that's another reason why Les Mis kind of felt different because that is a, it is an opera. It is a modern opera, but like everyone sings everything. So they didn't have to contend with that idea of like, when do they speak? When do they sing? Um, yeah. Yeah. With, with it, within the Heights, with this new West side story coming out with, with uh, tick, tick boom, it definitely feels like we're back in this era of, of studios actually wanting to spend some money to bring successful Broadway shows tooth screen and embrace the musicality of it all
1: and that's kind of the this is the the history of like relation with Broadway and, and Hollywood in a way where it's like Hollywood for the for the longest time Hollywood developed movies based on Broadway musicals and then in like I think kind of the 90s with Disney coming in and then it became more prominent in the 2000s of like Broadway began adapting movies into musicals and now i think we're in the thing we're, we're about to see the kind of the, the other part of it now you're about to see again the brian musicals being adapted into movies again is what you're I think and then you're we're starting, gonna get mean to
0: girls the musical the movie yeah, which is just going could. to everything's going to collapse it's gonna in be insane. on itself
1: yeah but like i mean that's the thing is that disney i'll go i'll bring in disney real quick is that disney's really invested heavily just in in musicals in general if you look at the stuff they've done these past few years but even to the, like the point of like some there's TV stuff on Disney plus with like the high school musical, the musical, the show or whatever. Oh, I apologize for the, getting the name wrong. If that's the case, uh, or like even like the encore show of like the older kind of classmates kind of reuniting to go do a, 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 like a show again at their high school. Mm-hmm. Like, um, it's becoming, um, and the thing is, I think you, you, are talking about what's kind of happening. I think the big thing we're missing here is that musicals are now being seen as entertainment again. Mm-hmm. Like Les Mis was prestige. That was the thing and and in terms of the movie aspect tom hooper was mm-hmm. i think really trying to go for the prestige of les mis but i think i'll give credit to this of like la la land kind of opens the door a little bit about musicals entertainment and yeah it can be dramatic and prestige films for sure but they still entertainment and that's when you bring in i mean the greatest showman which is essentially for a lack of a better word, a stadium musical, Mm -hmm. like the way it's like, it's about pumping you up throughout the entire movie in a way. It's the, the, it's questionable of like the, the structure of the movie musical. Mm -hmm. And you also said this too, about how in musical form, uh, it's the idea of, uh, it, your emotions become so overpowering. You have to sing. And uh, oh that's why a lot of movies on our list of like these hard days night and the beatles type stuff it's not really on our list because those just feel like movies with music in them yeah
0: all right and i I think that is the that is the conceit that makes all the difference in the genre i think a great example you can point to as like why Mm -hmm. a movie musical failed is when clint eastwood adapted uh
1: oh the jersey 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 Boys. boys
0: because jersey boys is Is it they're they're singing four seasons songs, but they're singing them in a way that is that you know this song expresses my emotions in this moment, and I'm going to sing it to you in the in the musical. Eastwood came in and was like, "Nah, I don't like that. I'm not doing that. This is just (laughs) a movie about them singing their songs, and it's it's just it's devoid of like all emotion. That movie is is so cold. It's just like this." This is a biopic of the four seasons. Um, yeah. And so they, you know, that, is, that is a musical. I've, I've seen it a few times it's a little hokey, but I actually really enjoyed this, the structure of it and the, the like kind of way mm-hmm. that they, they do the fourth wall breaks and the way that they mix these songs that are real songs into being expressions of what the characters are going through. And just all that is lost in the movie. And I saw the movie once uh, in theaters Actually, fun fact: saw that movie in a double feature. Not, not, not. It, it wasn't shown as a double feature, but I went one afternoon, saw Jersey Boys and Chef. Which, funny enough, John Favreau was supposed to make Jersey Boys, um <laughs> and was not expecting Chef to be the better film out of the two, but it was.
1: <laughs> um, so you well, yeah, going off that too. Uh, I'm remind. I think I have a movie that does the that actually kind of becomes a movie musical of how it uses music to to kind of let you into the characters is actually a star is born Mm -hmm. i think that's a movie i i could see arguing it being a traditional movie musical but it uses the the songs they're doing because a lot of the songs they're singing i think are are replicating their inner thoughts yeah with yeah. shallow I think even with her with like the final song of I'll never love again I believe what's called but even mm-hmm. like black eyes and Ale- like those those all are like the 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 mental state of uh, uh Jackson Maine and Lady Gaga's character.
0: Yeah, I think because they kind of mix that concept of like what makes a song writer and what is your integrity yeah. as a songwriter, then they mix they bring in that idea that that everyone's songwriting is a reflection of their their inner soul which is why he gets so mad when she she has that song of, you know, why are you coming in here with jeans with like that?
1: <laughs> and the hair, body, face, hair, body. that like That's the chorus. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think that's an example where it actually kind of it works well. Um, but we're going to try to explore all these themes and these kind of like the essence of a movie, movie musical this month. And this episode, first episode of the month, we're tackling one of the biggest movie musicals pride of all time with West Side Story. West Side Story is about two rival gangs, two rival teenage street gangs in the Upper West Side of New York City in the 1950s. One gang is called the Jets, a white gang that is made up of kids of like Polish and Irish descent, kind of like Irish Catholic and whatever. Uh, the other gang is called the Sharks, a group of Puerto Rican teenage immigrants. The Jets are led by Riff and the Sharks are led by Bernardo. And at the beginning of the film, the Jets challenge the Sharks to a rumble, which is an all-out fight. That could put an end to the turf war of the Upper West Side. Riff's best friend Tony, uh, uh, is working. is is the former co leader, co founder of the Jets. And Riff goes to Tony saying, "Hey, we need you to be a part of this rumble." But Tony has left the gang world. He's holding down a job, like a a at a convenience store, kind of like malt or like a kind of just like shop or whatever. Um, and he's like, "Come to come meet with us at the dance tonight. We're gonna have a rumble afterwards." Tony reluctantly agrees to go. And while at the dance, Tony runs into a beautiful young Puerto Rican girl, Maria. And for them, it's love at first sight, but things get messy when they find out Maria is actually Bernardo's younger sister. So now we have two star-crossed lovers caught up in the middle of a New York turf war. And from that plot line, if you didn't know, West Side Story is heavily inspired by Romeo and Juliet, William Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. So, for the intros of this movie the cast and crew cast of west side story the big star at the time of course is natalie wood who plays the beautiful kind of ingenue character of maria even though natalie wood is not puerto rican or has any type of hispanic background uh i think there was actually some pushback at one point from like public reception at the time but there was no internet so it wasn't really a big thing probably uh but Wood, she was in the middle of a career comeback in this film at the age of 23, and we'll talk about that more later. We actually talked about one of her other films that came out the same year, Splendor in the Grass, last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a big year for her. The leading man of the film is Richard Bamer who plays Tony, short for Anton. Uh, he had just recently starred in the award-winning film The Diary of Anne Frank, and the next two, next three big stars of the film are Russ Tamblin, George Shakiris, and Rita Moreno. Uh, Tambla is playing Ripley the leader of the Jets. Shakiris is playing Bernardo, the leader of the Sharks. And Marino plays Ani- Anita, Bernardo's girlfriend and Maria's best friend. Uh, the crew. So the cast is fairly well rounded, but the crew is stacked from top to bottom. For, for directing, the film is actually co directed by Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins. Robbins, the original director of the broadway, broadway production, also serves as the film's choreographer, while Wise served as kind of the film's main producer. For the film, songs and score, the original music for the from the Broadway show was written by the masterful Leonard Bernstein, and the lyrics written by the legendary Stephen Sondheim, Thomas's favorite composer of all time. Um, <laughs> and the film screenplay was written by Ernest Lehman, who we just recently talked about not long ago on our Sweet Smell Success podcast, mm-hmm. which was just four years before this film. Uh, and so those are our players. Now let's talk about our initial thoughts in this film. Thomas, did you have a history with this film before re-watching it for this episode? Or yeah, had you I, seen it before?
0: Um, I had seen it as a kid at some point. I, I think I've told you before when I was when when like uh, when when blockbuster by mail was a thing, my family mm-hmm. kind of went through a phase of like watching AFI's top one hundred and and all that kind of stuff. So a, a lot of the classics I saw. In that period of being like twelve to fifteen, and this was probably earlier on, so it wasn't super fresh in my mind until I revisited it in an academic setting. Uh, have have revisited it a couple of times. Uh, I took a musicals class in in college, and it's and it's one that and we'll talk about this a lot. It's one that comes up a lot, even outside of any sort of discussion of musicals when it comes to the aesthetics of this film. Um, yeah, it m- might be most well recognized as, as a movie that was insanely influential on Steven Spielberg and, you know, who has since become insanely influential on, it's like that coaching yeah, tree yeah. we talked about during the Tony yep. Scott period. Um, you know, yep. Spielberg didn't steal, but was inspired by a lot of the framing and the, the blocking yeah. in this movie. And so he has since influenced a lot of, uh, you know, another gener- generation of directors under him. So yeah, it, it was definitely a movie I'm familiar with, but I kind of love, I I recently uh, upgraded to a 4k television and <laughs> this was the first movie that I watched in like a 4k restoration on. And so it was truly yeah. like a new experience for me, uh, which was really nice to come into it. Cause it is cool. Go- the 4k restoration it's is gorgeous. Incredible. Yeah. Um, so yeah, this was, this was a, a really cool way to to revisit the movie specifically for this episode.
1: Yeah, a similar kind of kind of backstory with me with that is that I had saw this a little bit older than you though. I I I had watched this movie. I seen this movie twice before we rewatched before we watched for this episode. So once I actually bought the DVD at like the local movie gallery, the video store rental place in my hometown because it one of them because uh, it was closing down. And I remember buying it because I was trying to go through the AFI list. It was when it was on the list, and I remember liking it, but it didn't really have like a massive effect on me. 'Cause like I wasn't really in again, I said before, wasn't really into musicals growing up, wasn't really into theater, or I didn't or wasn't knowingly into them, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd watched it, I remember liking it. I didn't really think much of it. I knew it was always kinda like an important part of like film history and, and, and kind of movie musical history. And then last year during COVID, a lot of my friends here in LA we were doing like kind of Zoom watch parties or whatever and that was funny enough one of the only kind of old films on netflix at the time and we watched that one and i was like it's just blown away by the visual design of this film like i mean like like the opening's crazy where it has like it's the it's the kind of like abstract new york image and the Mm -hmm. and just the colors are going in and out and and bernstein's kind of music's playing um and uh, yeah so it's like the visuals the music the choreography it's like all amazing it's a technically amazing film and i was really kind of blown away by it so it was still even a year later i was like i still want to re- revisit it even though it's a two and a half hour long movie um it it moves fairly well i think and i just think in terms in, ter- in terms of visuals uh, there's not much there's not many films of the era that look and feel like this film mm-hmm. the film of west side story Um, because again we're at a point now where like it's 1961 by the end of the 60s the musical's kind of dead so it's like it's west side story and like sound of music in 65 also directed by robert wise by the way um are kind of your last like kind of big behemoths of the decade so i guess let's dive into the history of how this got made because it's it's i have to talk a little bit about how the broadway musical got made because that's Fun, like funny to me as well of how it all came to be. Uh, So in order to kind of talk about this, let's talk about the Broadway stuff. So in 1947, director and choreographer Jerome Robbins approached Leonard Bernstein and writer Arthur Lawrence about adapting Romeo and Juliet into a modern story for the stage. Robbins pitched them an idea that was about an Irish Catholic family and a Jewish family in New York City. The Jewish family would have... Emigrated to america after surviving the holocaust or specifically the character that would become maria was a holocaust survivor who had just come to america Mm -hmm. and it was going to be taking place over easter passover weekend do you know what the title of the musical was called no east side story Ah. um (laughs) the catholics would be called the jets and the jewish teenagers would be called the emeralds uh, it was going to be kind of about anti-Semitism in the area. Lawrence wrote a draft of the script, but they all realized it was too similar thematically to a popular theatrical kind of series, but also a radio series called Abby's Irish Rose.
0: Ah, yes, yeah, the classic.
1: The classic Abby's Irish Rose. Uh, Robbins then dropped out of the project and all the men went their separate ways. And then in 1955, Arthur Lawrence was hired to adapt a James M. Kane novel Tired Serenade for the stage, and he thought Robbins and Bernstein could help. Robbins believed they were going to reunite. They should only do it for East Side Story. Uh, Bernstein wanted to, wanted to do it as well with East Side Story, but Lawrence was attached to this other show. And since Bernstein wouldn't do it or couldn't do it, it seems Lawrence auditioned a young composer slash lyricist, Stephen Sondheim, for the musical, Lawrence liked Sondheim's lyrics, but wasn't a fan of his music. Sondheim disagreed with him. Uh, (laughs) The project was later... the, The Serenade project was later shelved. Finally, Lawrence was then hired to write the screenplay for a remake of an earlier Greta Garbo film called The Painted Veil. So while Lawrence was in Los Angeles writing the script, Leonard Bernstein was in town performing at the Hollywood Bowl. And they met up at the Beverly Hills Hotel, I believe, and began discussing the project again. And what what kind of cooked them was that they were really fascinated by the rise of teenage gangs in American culture, specifically with the turf wars that were, turf wars that were occurring in Los Angeles at the time with the Chicano gangs, because they were seeing it on the newspapers when they're in LA. And so they called up Jerome Robbins, who was actually coming to LA to choreograph The King and I, starring Yul Brenner. And while Robbins and Lawrence were working on their contracted projects, Bernstein went back to New York Robbins and Lawrence began working on the now-titled West Side Story in their spare time. After the Panavel fell through, Lawrence went back to New York City, and he ran to Sondheim again at the (laughs) opening night of a play. And Sondheim had heard about the project, and he wanted to be involved. Bernstein wanted to focus only on the music of the project and not the lyrics. The job of lyricist was offered to Sondheim, who really I don't think had done much at that point, nothing big at least, uh, but Sondheim didn't want to do it because he, he wanted to do only the mu- he wanted to do both music and lyrics, not just the lyrics. But his mentor Oscar Hammerstein told him he should take the project because he would benefit from the experience of working with Bernstein and Sondheim accepted. The Broadway production went through a lot of trouble trying to get off the ground because no one wanted to fund the project. They were two months out from rehearsals when their final producer investor fell through. Sondheim convinced his friend and producer kind of young upstart who was associate producer on a few plays like uh, *Damn Yankees Hal Prince to come on board to shepherd the project and Prince agreed and he would later become a frequent collaborator of Sondheim and Andrew Lloyd Webber that's Thomas's favorite uh, mm-hmm. producing or directing such musicals as Musicals as Company Cabaret Sweeney Todd uh, Sweeney Todd uh, Evita and The Fam of the Opera so West Side Story hits Broadway, and it's a critical and commercial success being praised for its technical achievements, music, choreography, all of it. And the Brian musical is now seen as a watershed moment for musical theater. So naturally, Hollywood came knocking to adapt (laughs) the film. Uh, Executive producer of the film, Walter Marisch, hired Jerome Robbins to direct and choreograph the adaptation, but... Marish didn't want to make Robbins the sole director because he had no film directing experience. And there Robbins was like, Robbins was like, I'm not, like, not going to make this movie unless I get full directing experience, uh, full uh, directing credit. So Marish hired journeyman director, Robert Wise. Now Wise had mostly been known for directing genre pictures in the 1940s and fifties. He had directed such films, as the curse, of the cat people, the setup and the day the earth stood still uh the film he made right before west side story was actually one of my favorite movies actually it's underrated heist film new york heist film called robert ryan or starring robert ryan harry belafonte called odds against tomorrow it came out in 1959 highly underrated go check it out when you watch it (laughs) the way he like shoots new york city it's black and white but there's parts where like oh yeah that's the opening of west side story when they're like kind of going over the city it's very similar so marish hired wise because wise was good at handling gritty subject matter because of those noirs that he had made in the 1940s and 50s and he said he was always on time and always on budget and side note wise got his start as an editor and he was actually the editor for orson welles citizen kane was one of his first big projects wow so i'm almost done don't worry uh the film needed to find its cast for the film and Robbins pushed to hire some of the original stars of the Broadway show like Carol Lawrence who played Maria but many of them either had aged out of playing teenagers or just didn't like teenagers when they did screen test. So they went for several big names, the two leads, and I'll get to many of them later in our Ultimate Universe cast (laughs) section but Natalie Wood was the one they decided upon for the role of Maria. Apparently, this is the story I heard, apparently Wise was looking at Warren Beatty for the role of Tony. But at this point, Beatty had only been in one film, and it was currently shooting, and that was Splendor in the Grass. Uh, he asked, Wise asked to see a reel of Beatty's work from the film, and when watching it, he saw Natalie Wood, who was Beatty's co-star in the film. He didn't think Beatty was good for the role, but he thought Wood was the right choice for Maria. Uh, after that, the director, st- the sign on Richard ba- uh, Beamer For Tony and they now had their two leads okay so that's how everything came together (laughs) uh long story I know uh so Thomas let's dive into favorite scenes what what was one of your favorite scenes um
0: well you know that's the the combination of of the two directors is something that and we can talk about this more when it comes to critical reaction because it's it's Mm -hmm. kind of made this film go down in history but I it, it truly feels like a movie that is a movie first and a musical second, whereas a lot of, and we've talked about in like the history of musicals, a lot of the time the idea was just set the camera up and film it like it's a stage play. And this combination of directors leads to some incredible choreography, but also some filmmaking ideas that are not just in service of the musical and the choreography, which a lot of the filmmaking previous to this within a musical was that way. And so there's some incredible visual scenes that combine the both the filmmaking and the choreography, like that opening with the the opening kind of introduction to the jets and the sharks when they start fighting and you get this kind of ballet fighting style that's going on. Um, but, but one scene I think that that really captures that really well is the, um, is the, the be cool sequence. Um, where they go into this parking garage and 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 one of the guys like flips on the headlights and it shines down the camera and then he comes out in front of it. Like that's, that's not a choreography decision. That's, that's a lighting decision. That's a blocking yeah. decision. uh, But then the, the choreography in that scene is incredible. I, I think the, the real success of the choreography in this movie is that it feels spontaneous. If it felt like, yeah, yeah. If it felt like these these tough teenagers in a gang were if it felt like they had memorized all these steps together and they were like, all right, yeah. now we're going to launch into our choreographed dance. I think the entire <laughs> conceit of this film would be gone. But a yeah. lot of times the the movement captures this kind of like rage of a, of a teenager on the streets. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that scene in particular is, is one of my favorites through the whole film and that really captures the spontaneity of the the dance and the uh the the you know filmmaking decisions with kind of the lighting and the setting there um so that that's one i i really love
1: yeah it's kind of an underrated sequence like mm-hmm. when, when i think of west side story a lot of times it's like it's the opening prologue of the of the ballet on the streets or it's the i feel pretty or it's america but cool it's one that like i'm always like i kind of gravitate to as well it's like it's such a just a A well-crafted film sequence Mm -hmm. essentially and not just a musical and and i actually really like the main guy in that thing Mm -hmm. uh uh tucker smith who plays ice who apparently that character was not in the original production ice was created solely for the movie uh and i and so i really like him in this film.
0: Yeah, I like that he's one, he's not like super big in the gang before, no. you know, all this goes down. And then he kind of steps up in that sequence and it's like, I'm gonna be the one to tell you guys to to chill out. I wanna get even, get cool. I wanna bust, bust cool. I wanna go, go cool. Boy, boy, crazy boy. Get cool, boy. Mm-hmm. Got a rocket in your pocket. Keep coolly cool, boy. Don't get hot. Cause man, you've got some high times ahead. Take it slow. And daddy, oh, you can live it up and die in bed. Boy, boy, crazy boy. Stay loose, boy.
1: I mean, I love the prologue for one. It's mm-hmm. just, it's, it's masterful, specifically in terms of how it's done without any dialogue mm-hmm. and everything's established and you're really getting like New York city is the thing. Yeah. It's like, that's the, that's me. it's a very New York movie in a way. Um, and the way they kind of showcase all this, I, I had this conversation with someone when talking with, uh, when, when I, when I'm writing or talking with people of like, when reading their scripts of like their opening just kind of has a lot of dialogue. I was like, if you can find a way to do it opening with like very little dialogue, to get us into this world, it's going to be so beneficial for your film, and this is a film that re- does. I mean, that. even
0: just with, with with this film, it's something as as you know, creative as you know, the the, the graffiti is is giving us a lot of the exposition. Yeah, but um, but even you know, when you're in that prologue and you're seeing you know this Jets territory and Sharks territory, yeah. it, it helps. You know, no one has to go like, "Hey, this is what are you doing in Jets territory?" Like, yeah. Well, yeah.
1: <laughs> It, it creates a it shows the world mm-hmm. it sets up the world for for those characters Anita Rita Marino is amazing in this film yeah absolutely um with America and our scene I mean the scene when she goes to talk to Tony at like the the shop he works at and all the jets essentially I mean it's 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 a horrific scene a very mm-hmm. traumatic scene uh and we'll go into that a little bit later but yeah it's it's she's amazing. Uh, it's no wonder she wins an Oscar yep. uh, for the film later on.
0: But yeah, America, is, the, America as a sequence is so much fun as well. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of the, the songs are great in this movie. Um, the music is awesome. Uh, there's so many good ones. Uh, yeah, And the, the score, here's the thing about the, the Bernstein is the, the score, even when they're not singing and you're just getting the score, especially when it's yeah. weaving a lot of the songs together. Um, yep, is is really incredible.
1: Puerto Rico, my heart's devotion. Let it sink back in the ocean. <laughs> Always the hurricanes
0: blowing. Always. The population
1: growing, and the money owing, and the sunlight streaming, and the natives steaming. I like the island Manhattan. I know you don't smoke on your pipe and put it.
0: by me in
1: america everything free in america for a in america so how do you feel and this might be a little later how do you feel about tony and maria
0: i mean you have to you have to remember that you're watching romeo and juliet here so like (laughs) the 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 like love at first sight ready to die for each other is just it's it's as much of a conceit as the idea that everyone in these gang scenes insane, and dances yeah. you know you just have yeah. you have to buy into it
1: well yeah i, I like the dance sequence i mean yeah, it's a little over the top with like when they first meet at the dance and it's just mm. like i know you or whatever mm. it's, but it is but does feel kind of like it reminds me a tad bit of la land of how like <laughs> when they when they when well, you know when they, when they meet like at the griffith observatory where it's just like it just becomes them and they kind of go off in their own little mm-hmm. world like in the stars that's kind of what happens in this movie with Tony and Maria in that dance sequence. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of love that dance sequence because again, it's like, it's putting all the, it's these two warring factions in the room together and they're having to dance in the same room. Mm -hmm. But even when they have to dance with one another, it's like, no, 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 Don't touch my, my woman or I'm not touching your woman. No, let's not do this. But then you have that meeting of them. Like, and again, visually, it, it might be kind of hokey, but the, the visuals of how, like, basically everything around them goes out of focus when they see each other, and they're like the only in focus image in that moment when they're mm-hmm. seeing each other. Yeah, yeah. I said it's not, I, I'll go into my thoughts on Tony a little bit later. Um, <laughs> But I do like his song, Something's Coming. I don't know why. I, I just kind of like that, um, uh, that moment, that song and for I, some reason. I mean, it's I, I one really of my favorites. Love, I,
0: of their songs a place for us is such a gorgeous song in general and um obviously what's it called Mm -hmm. somewhere somewhere yeah 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 Yeah. nallywood obviously an incredible actor um yeah yeah I, i do love i love the sequence with that one i love tonight maria is a great song yeah um I don't know i feel like sometimes i'm just throwing out great songs as far as i know i know well because this this this... This... the sequence goes but the um if we're talking scenes without music the the fight is so well done
1: the rumble the the
0: rumble yeah starting with you know kind of the the whistle you know the open set and there's nobody there and then you get the whistle and then everyone starts coming out from from the woodworks and they all come together on the court and then tony tries to stop it and yeah. And you get kind of that fight choreography that's going down and set to music, but there's not really like a song
1: The song yeah. there.
0: Yeah. And, and that entire sequence goes on to this, the, I, I, the, the kind of choreography of the sequence when it's just Tony and he's trying to like run from the, the searchlight and he's trying to hide from what he just did. And then honestly, most impressive thing in the entire movie is when he just scales that scales like, gigantic that fence fence. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, dang, I, that, was a, that was a good stunt.
1: I watched. I think I read they're just like, because that happens a couple times in the movie, like, like the dancer climbing up the fence, and you're just like, that's hard. Yeah, like that's hard for a stunt man let alone just these a days. Dancer. I would not
0: let. I would not let my lead actor do that. <laughs> Period. Because
1: <laughs> I just said, yeah, he cl- he climbs it and then jumps off of it,
0: like flips over the other side. Yeah, like and, flips yeah.
1: over it and jumps off of it. It's insane. I like all the a lot of the actresses. I I like the dynamic of uh, we haven't talked about him, but Bernardo, Mm -hmm. like a very quiet character, but I kind of like his his uh, presence throughout most of the film, and that's why kind of the America scene is also well done.
0: Yeah, and you know that's something we can get in more into this later, but that's something that I think this movie is because of the music and because you have this this ability to do an aside. And hear exactly what these characters are feeling i think the movie is able to emotionally balance so many characters mm-hmm. you know you've got songs like america you've got uh what, officer krupke uh g
1: officer krupke yeah
0: you get to hear exactly what all these people are going through and because they have that ability that a musical gives to them to to tell us exactly what i this is this is exactly what i'm feeling right now these are my hopes and fears yeah. then you're really able to get emotionally connected to this huge ensemble cast of characters and feel bad for all of them. Honestly, in a way, I mean, I love Romeo and Juliet. I love Mercutio and Tybalt, but I, I, because we have this like musical ability, I I think you get a little bit more of an insight into these Mercutio and and Tybalt type of characters and you, their deaths become a little bit more tragic outside of just, you know, in Romeo and Juliet, it's kind of just played for, like, oh, this is going to make things harder for Romeo and Juliet.
1: Yeah, yeah, but,
0: uh But, I mean, you truly feel for them in this movie that, you know, it was an accident. They were just these boys just playing around, and it went a little too far.
1: Yeah. I mean, you talk about that. I haven't read Romeo and Juliet in a while, but, like, I think of, like, there's not really a lot of scenes with Mercutio going off and, like, and Tybalt going off. Like, yo, let's talk about your feelings, Tybalt. Yeah, no. But it's also, like, it's kind of the thing of, like, look, if you guys just kind of, like sit and chat, you guys could settle some issues, but they're just yeah. like, no.
0: Yeah, I love when 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 Krupke comes in on them at docks and they're like sitting around playing cards, you know that they're, you know, putting that on for Krupke, but but it gives you this moment of like wow that could that could be them. Yeah. Like
1: <laughs> Or it's yeah, when they have the fight and it's like uh what are you guys doing? Oh nothing. Like we're just we're just playing. Like at the opening when the, when mm-hmm. they all come in uh after the prologue stuff. Um and even like and even like the dance at the gym, like you could easily just like they're so close to like being just friends and like like dancing with the other one's girl or vice versa. It's like it's it's so close to being like we're almost there but can't. And and that's the whole thing of Romeo and Juliet. And then with this and Tony and Maria here, is that like they're the key to like bringing these two together. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the issue of like when everything happens in the end. Spoiler alert: when Tony gets shot. Um, It's like they all come together and like lift him up and take him out after him being shot. Um, So, yeah, it's it's I said I love the cast. Um, I said I have some some feelings about Tony, I think, as an actor. I think some I think some of their scenes don't hold up as well. Mm -hmm. Um, But I still I mean, I still like the 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 balcony scene, the traditional balcony scene that any Romeo Juliet song or any Romeo and Juliet adaptation mm-hmm. of when they had the balcony scene after the dance um, and when they sing Tonight, I think is what it is. Uh, so like I so said, th- those sequences really kind of work for me. Come
0: down. No. Maria. Please. My mother and father will wake up.
1: Just for a minute. A minute is not enough. For an hour then. I cannot. Then forever! Shh! Then I'm coming up. Maria! Momentito, Papa! I'll see what you've done.
0: Momentito, Maria.
1: Callate. Shh! It is dangerous if Bernardo knew. We will let him know. I'm not one of them, Maria. But you are not one of us. And I am not one of you. To me, you're all the beautiful... Maruca. Si, ya vengo, Papa. his pet name for me <laughs> i like him and he will like me no he's like bernardo afraid <laughs> imagine being afraid of you you see i see you oh maria see only me
0: yeah i mean we we can discuss the the, the scene at docks with rita moreno yeah. is is I think something that starts to put this in that makes this movie really a turning point as far as musicals. Yeah. Cause I mean, not that, not that nothing unpleasant had happened in movie musicals before, but this, you know, this is a, a musical, a movie musical, which had maybe falsely this kind of stereotype of being light and fluffy. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. here's like an attempted rape being choreographed. uh, And so, yeah, I think that is what makes this film kind of, something that stands out as like a major change or, or, or a big turn within that genre
1: yeah it's it's a very sombering I guess moment it's I, I agree with you it's like that's the thing and it kind of it kind of happens not quick like it's like how I put this it's like that's not in Romeo and Juliet right to my but that's not in, that's that's an added thing to kind of showcase this world this this kind of world that we're living in in a way at this point in time Mm. and kind of how like as an audience where you're just what you're kind of like watching like hoping everything works out but like in the moment you're just like yeah anita is feels violated is violated um and her main goal is to essentially punish these people and that's what she says like maria shot her, or uh, is it chino shot maria is what it is it's like yeah yeah,
0: and I mean, yeah. it's, it, and it, it puts you in for sure. And her, I mean, she, against all better instincts, she's someone who her boyfriend was just shot dead by.
1: And she chooses to go. By yeah. a jet.
0: And, and yet, Maria is able to talk her into having mercy on him, but then she's shown absolutely no mercy in return. And yeah. it's just a, a breaking point for her. Her
1: performance in that scene is what really pushes the scene forward. And I, I mean, uh, why? I'll say it now because we're talking about it. Um, the big reason why that scene kind of, I think, really feel, it feels uh, traumatic is because apparently it was. So uh, when Marino... It, 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 what I read in research was saying that Marino's a survivor of sexual assault because she was she was raped when she was younger, is what it was. And apparently in the scene when she would begin crying or become like visibly upset with what was happening. Cause it was, it was very traumatic for her to kind of relive it. The guys would stop the scene immediately and like, make sure she was okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Or
1: I be, would say, it sounds like the jets would, I don't, I don't know about directing stuff, but the jets basically said like, they would stop it and make sure she felt comfortable uh, and kind of like make, make sure like, just so she, like it's going to make us basically we're the bad guys here. And the movie's going to show us as bad guys. Like we're show how horrible, these men are right. Um, and that's what it does. And so, but I think it's, I mean, it's very admirable. that They spotted that and chose to like, make like, to, like to make her feel comfortable and stop anytime she felt uncomfortable during this scene. Mm-hmm. Cause it is a traumatic scene. And especially if you have memories that go with it, it's not something you want to relive.
0: But nada was right if one of you was lying in the street, bleeding, I'd walk by and spit on you. Don't let it go. So tell Chino that Tony's hiding in the cellar. Don't you touch me. I got a message for your American buddy. You tell that murderer that Maria's never going to meet him. You tell him that Chino found out about them and shot her. She's dead. The final scene, Natalie Wood shines.
1: She's great in that, in that in the final scene.
0: And and that's that's one when the blocking is really incredible. And I think this is, I, I'd be very curious to hear, it, it, you know, this is a lot of the influence that this movie had on Steven Spielberg was to in, introduce this idea, of, you know, he is, he is the master of the moving master. And... I think this this combination like we're like I was saying of of a film director and a choreographer opened up a lot of combinations of both like, hey, we could shoot this this dance scene in a really different way, but also like, hey, yeah. we could block this non-dance scene in a much more choreography minded way. And I yeah. think this is one of those scenes where the the really incredible blocking of this movie really comes into play. This you know, the the Jets and the Sharks kinda of, as as Tony falls dead, the Jets and the Sharks all kind of spill in and you see them kind of come in together and yeah. and then they kind of recognize what's happening and split apart. And yeah. um and then you get that kind of slow moment as both of them come together to help Maria with yeah. Tony's body.
1: And, again, you, and you have maria's reaction to all of them essentially like threatening to shoot herself mm-hmm. because of what's happened and kind of confronting them all about what they did what they did to make this happen and, and it's a beautifully shot scene because they have that kind of like lamp light the the street light above the playground light above the kind of lights them all but everything else is like shrouded in darkness is what it is um yeah a wonderful moment again i think natalie wood is is pretty great in this film we'll we'll go in a little bit later in terms of singing stuff, because I, mm-hmm. I'll say it now: she was dubbed, yeah, for all of the film except that's that scene, except the scene at the ending scene when she sings with Tony when he's dying. That's Natalie Wood, and it it works there. Mm-hmm. Like her voice, I've listened a little bit. Her voice isn't as strong as as the the person they picked, um, but her voice there. That's this is the key of like singing and acting in a way yeah it's like sometimes you can sing well and it works for the song but like you can't always like sing act if that makes sense i don't Mm -hmm. know if that's the correct term but like she's emoting she's like she shows emotion as you you feel it and you hear it in her voice of the emotions that she she's feeling in that in that moment um and you can't do that
0: within the story this is a moment when maria would not care about you know, being on the necessarily. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. It's it's a painful moment for her, and her voice replicates that. I didn't believe hard enough. Loving is enough. Not they won't let us be.
0: Then we'll get away. Yeah. We can. Yes. We will. Yes. But-
1: Hold my hand and we're halfway there Hold my hand and I'll take you there somehow someday some Moving on onset life. So Tom's talked about the blocking, so this part's very important. So while shooting the film. The original plan was for Jerome Robbins to film the musical sequences while Wise headed, was to handle the dramatic elements. Robbins was to shoot his sequences first, and apparently there were a lot of retakes during these sequences. <laughs> there were countless rehearsals, and he had makes conversations with Wise about the shot, shot selection of these sequences. Also, there were apparently an unusual amount of injuries during the filming of these dance sequences that Robbins did. Uh, it was also said that he made Natalie Wood work sixteen-hour days because he demanded perfection for her role in her, her, for her in the role of Maria. He apparently made her so miserable that she begged to be fired from the project during this time. Oh no! After forty-five days into filming, Robbins was twenty-four days behind schedule. <laughs> Uh, the film was also already over budget so robbins was dismissed from the film and his assistants would help wise with film with state with help wise film the 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 rest the rest of the dancing sequences and help with the staging uh that and the sequences that were left to shoot the four numbers that robbins completed were can you guess the four numbers he did
0: um america
1: america is one of them officer krupke now, Officer Krupke, the big ones we've talked about. So it's America's One, Cool, mm-hmm. Pro, the Prologue, and I Feel Pretty. Those are the four he did. Nice. The film was shot in both New York and Los Angeles at the Samuel Goldwyn Studios in West Hollywood. Uh, while in New York, they shot several scenes in the San Juan Hill community, which had which had been condemned, which many buildings had been condemned or demolished due to the city's urban renewal kind of program to gentrify the area and build the now build the now famous lincoln center so this kind of captures part of the area right before it completely changed uh and and but it was after uh the city displaced thousands of families who were mostly african-american african caribbean or puerto rican uh, families in this in this time. The urban legend is that they're essentially dan- In the opening sequence, they're like dancing on where Lincoln Center rebuilt. I don't know if that's the case, but it is like where it's in that area of like that became gentrified and rebuilt later on with Lincoln Center and Lincoln Apartment, Lincoln Center apartments and stuff like that. Hmm. While filming in New York, allegedly the cast and crew were harassed by fans, and they they would apparently throw rocks at the ca- cast and crew while filming in the abandoned areas. <laughs> In order to stop this, Robert Wise hired actual gang members to serve as security for the film.
0: Oh no, that's not good. <laughs> Just ask the Rolling Stones.
1: Yeah, it's yeah, Hell's Angels. Nothing happened, to my knowledge. They they, they kind of come calmed, calmed everything down. While on set, the gangs were encouraged. This was actually a thing from the Broadway musical as well. Uh, the gangs were encouraged to keep, or basically, the producers try to keep them separate off set so they would not become close, but they were encouraged to pull pranks on the opposing opposing gangs while offset in hopes of keeping the tensions high uh, when they were in scenes together. <laughs> uh, however, Russ Tamblyn, uh, who was a jet, said he knew at least one jet that had a roommate who was a shark. Uh, allegedly, I'm a, I, I like using that word a lot because I don't it's it's. 50, Sixty years ago now, allegedly, according to Russ Tamlin Natalie Wood had a list of people in her dressing room that had gotten on her bad side, and Richard Bamer was on it. <laughs> Bamer wouldn't find out until almost thirty years later when Tamlin told him while they were working on David Lynch's Twin Peaks together. uh It was said—I don't agree with this. It, it was said that she had him on that list because Beatty didn't get the role and they were dating, oh, uh, but but they weren't dating at this point in time, so that that's not true. Okay. Um because uh, we talked about this on, on Splinter in the Grass, Baty mm-hmm. and Wood hated each other on that set. Uh, and they wouldn't start dating till, I think after her divorce or near her divorce in like 1962 uh, to Robert Wagner. Um, but Baimer Baimer did believe part of the problem of why they didn't get along on set was a screen test they had that apparently went South uh, early on. Uh, Baimer did say that years, a few years later he and Wood crossed paths at a nightclub she said hello to him and chat with him for a few minutes and he was left surprised at how sweet and kind she was to him. Oh. So she tends to be that way. I, I, I feel like Natalie would could be petty to some extent, but not petty enough to be like, my boyfriend's not on this movie. That's <laughs> not, that wasn't really her. I don't think. Yeah. Um.
0: I mean, she, she was a, like a professional. Like she'd be in, she'd yeah, been in the industry. She, she knew how it worked.
1: Yeah. But yeah, I think she was 23 at this time. And already going through like a career comeback at the age of 23, she had been in this business since she was. I mean, insane. There's a great podcast. Uh, I'll give them a shout out. It's called Hollywoodography, and they just did a season on all of Natalie Wood's filmography. So if you're a Natalie Wood fan like me, go and check. Like, every episode's basically a different movie that that Natalie Wood made. So it's a very in depth and comprehensive uh, uh, series on her career so most recently in early promotion for Spielberg's upcoming adaptation of the film, Rita Marino said that during filming, all the Puerto Rican characters had to have makeup applied to make them look Puerto Rican because Marina was actually the only Puerto Rican cast member in the film. Um, but she revealed that even she had to have Brown makeup put on her because someone believed that the skin tone, the her skin tone needed to match all the other Puerto Rican characters. Um, Hmm. When she confronted the makeup artist, saying, "I don't know why I have to be this color. I'm not this color," the makeup artist apparently responded to her with, "What are you racist?" to Marino, Ooh. because she was questioning this. And Marino, I think, said like she didn't she didn't have an answer. she didn't answer because she didn't know if she said something back, it it made her look bad, so she was just like just stayed quiet. Uh, it also seems the white actors were expected to do something similar. Many of them were told to bleach their hair so it was blonde and to wear lighter makeup to make them look whiter, to have a bigger contrast in the movie. Uh, last thing, we can't. I, we talk, we touched on a little bit. When Natalie Wood was filming the movie, she believed that her vocals would be used for Maria, but a vocal dub double, Marnie Nixon, was hired. Wood was told she would only be used for the high notes if needed. However, it seems the plan was to always use Nixon, but they didn't want to tell Wood because they were afraid she would leave the film. The only time I said you hear Wood's voice is in the finale. Nixon also dubbed Rita Marino for a portion of the song Quintet. Well, Quintet. Uh, but Wood's not the only one that was, was dubbed in this movie. Pretty much everyone was dubbed in this movie <laughs> at some point. Uh, Jimmy Bryant, uh, Birmingham, Alabama native, served as Tony's vocal double for the entire film, it seems like uh Bryant was also part of the side note he was also part of the group that did the Batman TV theme song in the 60s uh, <laughs> Mar- Marino's voice was also dubbed for a boy like that by a singer by named Betty Wan- uh, Wand uh and Russ Tamlin's voice was dubbed by Tucker Smith Ice for the Jet song so Tucker Smith who starred in the movie was also a dub for uh Riff the only person who didn't have a vocal dub for the film was George Shakira's because he didn't sing enough. I feel charming, oh so charming It's alarming how charming I feel And so pretty that I hardly can believe I'm real See the pretty girl in that mirror there
0: Who can that attractive girl be? Such a pretty face, such a pretty dress, such a pretty
1: smile, such a pretty me So... Aftermath. Even though Jerome Robbins had been fired from the film early on, Robert Wise still kept in contact with Robbins regarding the project. He even took many of Robbins' suggestions for the editing of the film. It seems at one point the studio producers offered to let Wise have sole credit for the film, but Wise stuck with giving co-director credit to to Robbins because of his massive contributions to the film. The film was finally released in New York City on October 18th, 1961, and I assume it was part of like its roadshow run that it did at this point, where it kind of traveled around the country before it, it or traveled around the big cities, and it was kind of a big, almost like Broadway show in a way, uh, because it would premiere in LA two months later. The film was met with massive critical and commercial success. At the time, it was seen by many as an incredible step forward for the movie musical genre by for, by many critics for sure. Uh, some of them calling it at that point the greatest movie musical of all time, wow. which is a big thing to say. Yeah. For the Hollywood critic, uh, James Power stated, West Side Story is a magnificent show, a milestone in movie musicals, a box office smash. It is so good that superlatives are superfluous. Let it be noted, the film musical, the one dramatic form that's purely American and purely Hollywood has never been done better. But. <laughs> not everyone loved it in walks our good old friend pauline kale <laughs> uh who says everything about west side story is supposed to stun you with its newness its size the wonders of its photography editing choreography music it's notings, it's nothing so simple as a musical it's a piece of cinematic technology she called the film's dialogue painfully old-fashioned and asking how, cri- how did critics fall for this frenzied hokum. She literally rips apart critics in this review. Quoting their exact reviews. And basically saying, look at this moron with shit taste. Is what it comes off as. <laughs> um, and even if I, because I like this movie. Even I might disagree with many of the things she said. I know you talked about this too. It's like, you get her points, but you disagree with the... A lot yeah. of them.
0: She she expresses herself so well, well that you're like, you know, I can't. I I don't agree with you, but I 100% see where you're coming from.
1: Yeah. And and she the big part that I think she nails right, that I don't think any critics really did when I read it, uh, is that she nails the issues regarding the racial problems with the film, specifically with the makeup and everything. She comments on how the characters are made up and how the film really doesn't explore the real issues of race. Because there really aren't any actors of the of Puerto Rican descent, but even though she disliked it, the film became the highest-grossing film in 1961, making close to 20 million dollars at the U.S. box office and 44 million dollars worldwide. Today, that would be about 400 million dollars at the box office in 2021 terms. Wow. Uh, the film was also a juggernaut at the Academy Awards that year, being nominated for 11 Oscars. Do you know how many it won? Six. Ten. Wow, I think it's the the, the winningest uh, musical of all time. There, Jerome Robbins also received an honorary Oscar for his choreography, so technically got eleven Oscars. Out of the actors, George Shakiris and Rita Marino won Oscars in their supporting characters cat categories. The only loser of the evening was Ernest Lehman for best adapted screenplay. Uh, he lost to he lost to Judgment of Nuremberg. For his career, Lehman would be nominated for a total of six Oscars and he would not win any for his work Uh, he would later receive an honorary Oscar for his work in 2001 also that night which we talked about a year ago uh, Natalie Wood was not nominated for Best Leading Actress in this movie because she was nominated for Splendor in the Grass Um, and she would lose to Sophia Loren for her role in Two Lovers making her making Sophia Loren the the first actor actress to win an Oscar for a non-English speaking role I gotta be honest it kind of sucks to be nominated for another film and the other film you were in sweeps the Oscars. Yep. Yep. But like, you're like, I'm in the, I'm in the, and, and they splinter in the grass also won best original screenplay. So like it that also won something, but she's, sh- it's like, yep, I didn't win anything. And as you know, I love friends, *Splinter in the grass. So I think mm-hmm. I haven't seen two lovers. I'm not going to hate on Sophia Loren, the great Sophia Loren, but uh, I'm, I, I kind of wish it was wood. Anyway, since its release the legacy of west side story has continued to grow and is now seen as one of the greatest movie musicals of all time it has appeared on many lists from the american film institute as they would list it as the second greatest movie musical of all time in 2006 and naming it the 51st greatest american movie of all time in 2007 it was also added to the national film registry by the library of congress in 1997 and this year year of our lord 2021 steven spielberg is doing one of the most ballsy moves I've ever seen by a historically acclaimed director and remaking a film that is seen by many as a masterpiece.
0: Also, just like his favorite... It's just like the biggest film nerd move of all time because it is his favorite movie.
1: (laughs) It's one of his favorite movies. Yeah, it's like, I am going to remake this.
0: You don't don't see me rolling up and being like, yo, I'm going to remake Raiders of the Lost Ark right now.
1: (laughs) I mean, I I saw the trailer for it that came out uh, a few months ago. I'm intrigued. I will say... I am intrigued because it's going to be very hard to up to the reputation and quality of this film. But in the trailer, it definitely feels like Spielberg's pushing some stuff that I haven't seen him do before. Like mm-hmm. that one shot they have of like the looking down and they're like walking from right and left side of frames, the two, the two gangs and mm-hmm. it's the, the towering shadows is amazing. Yeah. It kind of, that feels like a shot that would be done by like, a I mean, Hates it, but a younger filmmaker who doesn't have much to lose, like that, feels like such a kind of artsy shot that's, that I haven't really seen Spielberg do before.
0: That's honestly why I'm very excited for this because Spielberg is someone who obviously is a is a very gutsy filmmaker, but has been making for better or for worse dad movies for the past yep. uh, maybe ten years at this point, and I think. Just from the trailer, it feels like the energy of going back to a movie mm-hmm. that, that really inspired him when he was younger. It feels like it has given him an energy that that is very exciting.
1: Yeah, because Spielberg, I've been waiting for him to do a musical for years because he his he he has like because of the way he blocks stuff, as you kind of mentioned earlier, it's very his DNA is like within that musical. He'll always like he'll play with it a little bit. He always gets a little too scared. To do a full-on musical. <laughs> it's the opening of Temple of Doom, but it's just the opening. Yeah. Or it's even in 1941, it has a uh, a sequence that, this the dance hall sequence of like the the uso or the troops or whatever they do like for this radio show like he's always toying with it a little bit even in hook we talked about this in our hook episode amy and i did of how hook was supposed to be a musical and he chickened out and said no let us make it straight let's not <laughs> do a film musical because he had like he had like john williams already written like six or seven songs for that movie that like just didn't get a peer. That's why the, the young girl has that random song in the movie. Cause it was mm-hmm. supposed to be a full blown musical. And Spielberg's like, and he even said he messed up on hook. Cause he's like, I, I chickened out. It should have been a musical and I wouldn't do it. And so now he's finally doing it. And that's why I'm so intrigued <laughs> by what, by what he might do. So uh, Spielberg, I'm going on the limb right now. Please don't fail me with this. That's all I have to say. All right. So what worked about West side story?
0: Uh, Wow. Uh, The music, choreography the camera work the production design uh the lighting
1: the light the editing
0: it's it's a technical triumph for sure I
1: agree completely I, it's just everything te- it's everything I technical up from from the sets to the location stuff like they blend that fairly well the cut co- it's a c- colorful the colors they use in this movie it's so beautiful mm-hmm like it feels like weirdly a stage musical usually will play with colors a lot more and it's lighting. And you didn't see that as much in film in movie musicals at this point. And they really push the colors in this movie from a lot of red, specifically that dance off sequence. You'll see a lot of purples and spots with mm-hmm. the, with Maria and everything. Pinks. It's just a very colorful, even like I love her door her door in maria's room is like the it's the 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 glass is different color so it's mm-hmm. like green red blue and that just like adds texture it adds this colorful pa- palette to just every scene basically um but yeah it's i think it's beautiful did anything not work
0: i mean here's the thing obviously in an ideal world we would have some people of latinx descent represented yeah. in the film yeah. and and that seems like one thing that spielberg is out to correct Yep. obviously this was a very different time in hollywood not a good time in any sense and and i am sure that there were people of latinx descent who were out there looking for this opportunity but it was a time in the show business when people just weren't presented with those opportunities not only yeah not being able to be cast in a movie like this, but not being given the opportunity to work their way up in an ensemble on Broadway, anything like that, where they would even be a possibility. Um, So yes, that is something that is not aged well in this film and and feels like a, feels like a real injustice, especially because this is a movie about breaking barriers and and bringing people of different heritage together. (laughs) um and the fact that they weren't involved is is really rough um luckily we do have rita moreno there to to at least give that side some form of authenticity but she shouldn't be you know a a token latinx person um so yeah i I think that's that's the real standout here
1: i agree yeah (laughs) not much to say yeah it's it's and also it's like and even like the like i just said earlier like her her being painted up to look the same as everyone else so basically saying like oh all people of latinx descent look the exact same yeah in terms of color in terms of like the color of their skin and that's just and that this is this is an issue that kind of just happened recently in the heights that was kind of some uh some controversy around how it, a lot of the the actors and actresses were kind of of the same like uh a light-skinned uh latinx character uh, uh, Latino or latina characters um and that's not that's not the world that we live in and so hopefully we'll see some a, a lot more diversity within this upcoming west side story i'll ask a few things um so we talked about lead performance i, I i'm a little iffy on richard bamer as 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 tony that's the thing like he's almost like too nice
0: <laughs> I, I don't know i think it's important that he is established as not having any because I think you would question his motivations if he had any like hatred towards Bernardo from the start. Yeah. you know, it's like why is he trying to get with Bernardo's sister now? So to have mm-hmm. him be, I don't know. I think it, it. I think there is something there to have him be like the innocent bystander, mm-hmm. especially being that he is one of the the three who ends up dead because of it. Yeah, um,
1: I don't know. I guess I'm just like that dude was the leader of a gang, and he's like. Yeah, too he, nice. that's all I behind
0: do him. It. Doc, the 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 power yeah. of Doc's wisdom has saved him.
1: Yeah, Doc's like, you make the world so lousy. <laughs> is I think what he says to the kid to yeah. him. Uh, I'll ask this: How do you feel? Because this was in some of the critic reviews I read. Ebert wrote about this. How do you feel about Maria not dying? Because it's different than Romeo and Juliet. Because Romeo and Juliet, they both die.
0: Yeah. I'm fine with it. I think it gives, I think it's okay. I think it gives wood an opportunity to
1: yeah really have a moment,
0: you know, really have that moment. And I think it, it gives us a little bit more. It lets us have, it lets us stay in that scene and actually see a, an organic coming together of these people. Whereas Romeo and Juliet is kind of like at the end, they're like the narrator. I don't even remember what, whatever, but we're told at the end, like these two kids are dead, but their, their family's going to try really, really hard to, to get it together now. <laughs> Um, so like having one of our two main characters alive at the end allows us to kind of stay in the movie a little bit longer and see for ourselves instead of being told that that these people are going to make an effort to to yeah. bridge their differences to, in order to stop the bloodshed.
1: Yeah, you need someone to condemn to actually condemn them face to face. It's kind yeah. of thing. And that's what she gets to do. Yeah,
0: and she kills it in that scene. I mean, with the- she
1: knows she does. Here, here's a question. If she doesn't get nominated for Splendor in the Grass, she's nominated for West Side Story. Do you think she wins?
0: I could see it for sure. I think she's much more of a contender. You, I, I made my thoughts known on Splendor in the yeah. Grass. If you, if you're, if you didn't listen to that episode, you, you can go back right now. Um, I was not the world's biggest fan of that movie. Uh, I thought it was like insanely melodramatic. Um,
1: and I think it's her best performance ever. So that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, well, the reason why I ask is because like you think she could ride the wave of west side story
0: yeah yeah especially if everybody else was winning yeah
1: yeah only best after screenplay which makes a little sense because a lot because some critics did comment again pauline kale said it about the dialogue and kind of how it was written so i can kind of see that one not winning it um but i could i could theoretically see her if she's nominated for that one she rides that wave and and wins for west side story how do you fire
0: this gun chino just by pulling this little trigger How many bullets are left, Chino? Enough for you?
1: And you? All of you, you all killed him, and my brother, and Rick. Not with bullets and guns, with hate. Well, I can kill too, because now I have hate. How many can I kill, Chino? How many? And still have one bullet left for me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> all right in the universe cast who was almost in this movie who do you, you want maria or tony first
0: let's hear some maria's
1: maria's uh our old friend from the that thing you do episode suzanne Plachette was uh was rumored was i think auditioned for maria uh jill st john another actress a lot kind of just actress of the time the mm-hmm. big one she was offered the role. Audrey Hepburn.
0: Wow. Uh, I've got a tri- I've got a trivia for you. Go ahead. The singer who dubbed Maria also that was my next
1: thing. Yeah, she, did
0: My Fair Lady. She did. Yep. Except, that was my next thing. Except when Audrey Hepburn yells out, "Move your blooming ass!" That's her. That's that's Audrey, <laughs> that's Audrey Hepburn.
1: Hepburn. Uh, I hated the same thing with her too. Is that Audrey Hepburn thought she was going to be singing in the movie, and then she found out later? I I feel like. I read a story, she found like the premiere that she was dubbed or something great. I don't know how true that is, but I feel like she found out late that she had been dubbed as well, similar to Natalie Wood in this movie. And, if, uh, and, yeah, and maybe
0: ha- if they had cast someone who had played the role on Broadway and didn't need someone to dub them, they wouldn't have lost the Oscar to that same actress.
1: actress. <laughs> Girl Julie Andrews. So yeah, so apparently Audrey Hepburn turned it down because she was pregnant at the time and she had apparently had several miscarriages before and she didn't want to overexert herself is why mm. she turned down West Side Story she did however get nominated that year i believe for breakfast at tiffany's or breakfast at tiffany's came out that year is what it was mm. all right tony some big names on tony i'll go i'll say the one name that was apparently won for the broadway production he was one for the apparently uh I can't remember which one which which person involved, but one of the people, it might have been Arthur Lawrence. He for Tony, he wanted James Dean oh. for the Broadway production.
0: Could James Dean sing?
1: I don't know. I don't think he could. <laughs> um uh Russ Tamblin actually auditioned for the role, but was given Riff instead.
0: Oh okay.
1: I'm gonna run these next names people. Robert Redford he was kind of young though i don't know if that how true that is yeah
0: he was still doing like i mean he was doing neil simon doing stuff they would have known yeah, him from, yeah. from like Broadway. Theater.
1: yeah bobby darren <laughs> uh anthony perkins anthony,
0: i don't know yeah no no thank you i love anthony perkins but no
1: warren War, warren Beatty. i said richard yep. chamberlain <laughs> these next two are going to be crazy burt reynolds a young burt reynolds apparently if that's the case mm-hmm. This next one, it's a big what if. I don't know if I like it, uh, and I like the person. Robert Wise's first choice to play the role of Tony and was offered the role of Tony was Elvis Presley.
0: Wow. No Dennis but, Hopper? Pr- this feels like the time no, Dennis when Dennis Hopper, Hopper, was, Hopper up was up for a kind lot of, of high, stuff.
1: Yeah, uh, Presley's manager, the leech himself, Colonel Tom Parker, uh, t- turned Wise down because Elvis was only going to sing in six of the film songs. And not all, not the entire musical. He also turned it down because Elvis would not be given exclusive rights to the soundtrack of <laughs> West Side Story.
0: That's ridiculous. I'll come do your musical. It's already <laughs> been written and is famous for being on stage. But I won't. It's mine now. Once I'm in it, yeah. it's mine.
1: Yeah, it's that's Tom Parker. That's what he did, That's what he would do yep. to people. Uh, Colonel Colonel Parker would end up like if oh if Elvis is gonna sing your song, he gets rights to it. Yep. that's why because that that's the big story is that elvis wanted to do i will always love you uh by dolly parton and she said no because he won like so like co-writing credit or whatever like mm-hmm. basically parker wanted to get co-writing credit he gets exclusive rights to like this to the songs kind of like the masters basically and dolly parton's like no <laughs> i'm gonna keep mine and then whitney houston does it and she's like she becomes rich she's already rich but she becomes even richer off that song uh film facts even though uh, Debbie Natalie Wood was Marnie, Marnie D- Nixon's chief assignment, she also read marino uh, Having dubbed Wood as well as Marino, Nixon felt she deserved a cut of the movie album royalties. Uh, neither the movie or the record producers would bow to her demands. Apparently, Leonard Bernstein broke the stalemate by volunteering a percentage of his income. A gesture of loyalty, royalty. Since Nixon had become a performer, was had been a performer slash colleague of his at the New York Philharmonic concerts. He ceded one quarter of one percent of his royalties to her, which wow. it became like the highest selling album at that point. So yeah. I feel like she made a good, good, good penny off that. Uh, Russ Hamblin said that he initially was very unhappy with his dancing in the film until Fred Astaire came over to him at the premiere and said, "You did pretty good." <laughs> <laughs>
0: It feels much more as far as the, like a stare and, um, uh, Jean Gene Kelly, Gene Kelly, like warring schools of choreography goes, it feels a little bit more up Gene Kelly's alley, but I'm glad a stare yeah. appreciated it.
1: He's like, yeah, I admired your dancing. Um, during the entire production, the actors wore out 200 pairs of shoes, huh. applied, applied more than a hundred pounds of makeup, Oof. split, tw- split 27 pairs of pants <laughs> and performed in 30 different recording sessions. Uh, Rita Marino stated that her line reading of Don't You Touch Me after the Jets attack Anita was her imitating Marlon Brando her then boyfriend Brando apparently noticed this at the film's premiere <laughs> um, the film was the first film to win a Best Director Oscar for two directors with Robert Wise and Jerome Robbins this did not happen again until can you guess what movie? what, what, what movie won Best Director for two people 46 years later cohen's cohen's for no country for old men hey wow oh my god because natalie wood couldn't snap her fingers the sound of finger snaps had to be dubbed for her as well (laughs) um
0: (laughs) poor natalie wood
1: (laughs) okay uh the film ran in paris for a grand total of 249 weeks making it the longest running film in french history uh i don't know if that still holds up today uh shooting for the film lasted for six months and sound mixing and editing lasted for a total of seven and the last fact I have cool was, which was such a demanding number for the performers. Uh, apparently at the end of it, the actors ritually burned their knee pads. Once <laughs> the scene was done because of how terrible it or how hard it was, it was the hardest they ever worked before. Wow. All right.
0: Story questions. I um, not what is, what, what does Krupke do at the end? <laughs> Did anyone get arrested for this?
1: That's, that was my thing. Does anyone go to jail after anything happened?
0: Or is Krupke just was, like, all right, well, there's three people dead. I'll just leave it.
1: One dude shot a guy and is off somewhere. Like, Chino's gone. Um, and, yeah, what happens? I don't know. Krupke says. Uh,
0: Krupke at the end goes, it was the son, not the mother, <laughs> who killed the girl. God.
1: Um one thing i had i think you gotta kind of answer this if you, if you really think about it. how long does the story take place is it two days
0: It's two days right
1: yeah two days yeah
0: opening it's scene like a weekend
1: it's like a weekend
0: it launches the rumble yeah
1: because yep. the dance that night and then and, and you forget how long the rumble. because the rumble is like i mean you're into like act two when the rumble happens mm-hmm. and that's still the same night as that one um I think so, right? Or no?
0: No, the rumble's the night it after the, the next party. Night, the night yeah. after. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Because they, the, they meet
1: they made it the dress shop. The yeah. next day before. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay. Uh another question I had or how long's that turf war been going on?
0: Uh I'm gonna say like two years.
1: Okay. Cause I did read that I don't know if it was in the movie or if it was in the uh the Browie production, but the emeralds the the jewish family that was the original conceit of the movie it was it was jewish it was the emeralds versus the jets apparently it's referenced at one point that the jets had already like basically cast out the emeralds like they had already beaten the emeralds in the turf war and now they're fighting the sharks after beating the the emeralds so i don't know what happened there um all right awards paul williams music award favorite song of the film what do you what do you have
0: oh wow um
1: didn't think about that one did you
0: <laughs> no yeah i i like as an overall as a song that like exists just in like the basis of songwriting yeah uh somewhere is such a beautiful song I and, and i really yeah. really love tom waits does a cover of it <laughs> <It's> <laughs> definitely not for everyone but, uh, yeah. but i do love it but i also just like as far as when you watch i feel like um <laughs> you watch it the two songs I come away from every time I watch this movie just like can't get out of my head are um, America. Just that beat mm-hmm. is like so catchy. And then just also just the, when you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we love the but song.
0: honestly, like there's not a weak song in this movie. Yeah,
1: because like, I only I really like Something's Coming mm-hmm. um, as
0: well. Tonight and and Maria and obviously I Feel Pretty is I'm pretty is yeah. a classic.
1: Pick your favorites. I, I will say this: uh, AFI named like the hundred greatest songs of American movies or whatever. This one has three. Can you guess the three songs that are in their hundred greatest list? I feel pretty. No.
0: No. Maria.
1: Yeah. No.
0: <laughs> Tonight.
1: Tonight, yes, at number fifty-nine. Somewhere. That's the that yeah. Somewhere is number twenty.
0: America. Did I say America? America
1: num- yeah, America number thirty-five. Wow we'll go somewhere i like somewhere for this for this pick somewhere the paul williams music award there's a time for us someday a time for us time together with time Beatrice Strait Award, actor actress with limited scenes that kills it.
0: Okay, does Rita Moreno count for this one, or is she? X supporting? Factor.
1: She's X Factor. She's supporting.
0: Alright, I'm going with uh with uh I'm, you know what? I'm going with ICE.
1: So am I. I'm going with Ice too. Yep. <laughs> Tucker Smith, I think he's great. Mm-hmm. And for a guy who only did like six movies, yeah, and he's, uncred- he's uncredited he's incredited in three other movies after this. And they did at Long Last Love, which is the Bogdanovich musical, mm-hmm. and he did uh, another movie called Hearts of the West, which I don't know, and then To Be or Not to Be. Mel Brooks is To Be or Not to Be. <laughs> so yeah, but it, I think he's I think he's great. I think he's really great, and he he was on the national. He was apparently on the Bride production.
0: Yeah, I was a feeling a lot of the like ensemble guys from this. They they just kind of brought because it's such a weird, it's such a like choreography heavy show and such unique choreography. You probably would want to cast people you knew were already. Familiar with it
1: yeah, and apparently they liked him so much they wrote him a a, a role a because me- apparently in the original production riff scenes cool is what it is oh okay but they switched it and have icing cool and I think it works I think he's great
0: I don't have to take that from nobody next creep who stands on me I swear, the next guy gets my crew, to laugh. yeah. Now, you all better dig this and dig it good. No matter who or what is eating you, man, you show it and you are dead. You are cutting a hole in yourselves for them to stick in a red-hot umbrella and open it wide. Man, you want to get past the cops when they start asking about tonight? You play it cool. You want to live in this lousy world?
1: Play it cool. All right. The Annie Potts X Factor Award supporting actor and actress is the most memorable. Rita Moreno. For sure. I, yeah, I think she's amazing. In this film, like she's like the triple threat in a way. Like, I mean, it's like she's, she does. That's, that's Natalie, Wood doesn't have a lot of dances in this movie? She has phenomenal dances with America. She has phenomenal singing chops in this movie. Well, her character, uh, she has such a
0: great character arc that she is able to portray because she's kind of introduced as, like, the comic sidekick. And then she goes through so much grief and trauma in this. Yeah, it's a a really incredible performance. I'm going home now and take a nice, long bubble bath. Black Orchid. Black Orchid? Mmm, all over. I got a date with Nardo after the rumble? What rumble? Oh, well, uh, Nardo Sharks and those boys at the dance? They fight each other tonight? They don't play patsy. Why must they always fight? Well, you saw how they dance, like they gotta get rid of something quick. That's how they fight. To get rid of what? Too much feeling. And they do get rid of it. Boy, after a fight, that brother of yours is so healthy. Definitely, black
1: orchid. All right, the Gene Hackman MVP Award person who carries the movie director, actor, or whoever.
0: I'm going Bernstein.
1: Ooh, interesting pick. Yep. Why Bernstein?
0: I think the the music is is gorgeous in this the score, the everything, and um, yeah, I think it's iconic. And I think that that this is a this is one of those Broadway shows where some of the songs outlive even the show like i think people could pick out like i feel pretty or somewhere and not even know necessarily what it was from and i think that i'm not giving it to sondheim i see you i love
1: love that you're like actively not giving it to sondheim
0: no because 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 my problem with sondheim sondheim is a fantastic lyricist i have problems with his composition and so i actually do really enjoy him Collaborating with a different composer,
1: and you are like, "Oh yeah, Bernstein for sure. The lyrics are great, but Bernstein."
0: <laughs> I I like him working with a different composer. It's my my okay, issues that's not, with Sondheim I, that's fair. are that's fair. His, that's fair. his his uh lack of melodies in many of his okay. songs.
1: Okay, so you're going to learn Bernstein. I really, I mean, it's kind of a co thing for me. It's like Jerome Robinson, Robert Weiss It's kind of my thing. Wise. It's like. I think without those two behind it this movie doesn't doesn't work like they're able to transition this show this Broadway mm-hmm. show into a film as we talked about the cinematic movie, a cinematic film uh where like they they take away the proscenium arch and just it it, it broadens the entire scope of the of the story.
0: Yeah, a, a conversation that is constantly had and I can attest this firsthand as someone who has worked on a, a movie musical adaptation. You're constantly having this conversation behind the scenes of like, why does this need to be a movie aside from we need to let people who haven't been to New York. Yep. See it. And I mean, I'm sure that was a conversation that was being had, especially in post on the Hamilton, you know, filmed version. And, and they are able to bring in some like steady cam that, that breaks through the, the proscenium and, mm-hmm. and, um, gives you a different experience but the question is always like are we adding anything to the experience yep if you have seen this film on broadway are you going to go see it in the theater and be like this is only for people who didn't get to see this on broadway
1: like the producers producers.
0: (laughs) and and that's a conversation that's had constantly when you're working on a movie like this and this is a movie that nails it this is a completely different experience than you could ever have seeing this on stage and it's, I'm not saying it's better, but it is able to become its own thing. And that is definitely because of them.
1: And it seems like it from what I read is that wherever I'm read, it doesn't lose anything like mm-hmm. the dancing specifically. You don't lose how, how a uh, groundbreaking the dancing was on stage mm-hmm. in this movie. It kind of, you get to see it more essentially. Um, well, okay. So we're kind of three way tie. <laughs> Leonard Bernstein, J- Jerome Robbins and Robert Wise. So final questions. Thomas picked this this period, so if this film was recast, if it was remade in the, in the 2000s, who would you cast, Thomas?
0: Okay, okay, hear me out. <laughs> who am I giving? Who am I giving here?
1: Uh, well, who else? Who? I mean, I would for Tony and Maria for sure.
0: All right, I have um, Tony and Maria. I have uh, Riff and Bernardo. Okay. I could not come up with. I I tried really hard to come up with a um Anita. Anita
1: okay well let, let's go we'll go with those four i'll see if i can come up with an anita as we as we're discussing it okay okay
0: my maria is very interesting but i want to give her a shot and this could have changed her entire career arc so okay i don't know okay, okay early i'm going early 2000s okay what who do you want first
1: uh, give me give me a Bernardo and riff first. OK, Bernardo,
0: Bernardo first. is a little bit older than everyone else. Everyone else is in the right age range. Bernardo is a little bit older, but I think that's he fine. would be fantastic in this role. Yeah. And that's Benjamin Bratt.
1: He is older, but yes. OK.
0: Yeah, he's he's about 10 years older than everybody else. I have. In this, <laughs> but OK, everyone else is like actually like 18, 19, 20 around this time.
1: And Benjamin Bratt's like 35. Yeah but okay. he's great and he's got a, he's okay. got a
0: good voice he's sang in uh coco um, okay. okay riff okay someone someone who is a is a actor is coming up around this time and he has a huge background in choreography okay and that's ryan gosling
1: how old is Gosling at this point i'm talking
0: like like remember the titans Gosling
1: yeah remember the the titans okay for for every i'm telling everyone other than he's like 22 for everyone
0: other than bernardo i'm actually casting them to look like high schoolers in this (laughs) which i think is what spielberg was went for yeah in his version as well um right who do you want next maria or tony
1: go 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 uh go tony
0: okay tony is someone who has performed on broadway not not a lot of people might realize that he has a very good voice fantastic actor jake gyllenhaal
1: i, I have a feeling you're gonna pick gyllenhaal that makes sense
0: gyllenhaal and, and and gosling
1: same age so that would make sense they're Great they're pairing both, they're both yeah they're both 40 now think about that for a second all <laughs> right Mar- maria who do you have
0: all right maria someone she's early 2000s really hot yeah. career has has since kind of lost some steam, but mm-hmm. at the time when 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 we're casting this movie, she's a recording artist. She's been in some some hit films. Uh huh. Christina Milian.
1: Okay. I'm okay with that pick.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm with that. I'm okay with that pick. And
0: if she had done this, if this had happened, and this movie was a huge hit, I'm picturing an entire different career trajectory for her. <laughs>
1: I like that i like that i have an anita i think okay uh i'll go with the she's a little older uh and that because to go with your benjamin bratt thing i would say penelope cruz mm-hmm. i think penelope cruz because she did she did nine that musical
0: <laughs> i did not see nine not a lot of people saw nine
1: <laughs> i saw nine she got nominated for an oscar i think for that movie really uh i remember her, yeah i remember her being being kind of good in it so I, she can sing and she would be—I mean, she'd be about she'd be in her twenties at this point, late twenties. Okay, I think yeah. She'd so be I, good. I, I think I think she'd be. Especially good,
0: if, if we're playing Brad as a little bit older.
1: A little older, yeah. I think it works. Okay, I'm okay with this cast. Okay, I'm down with this cast. Okay, Christina Milian as Maria, Jake Gyllenhaal. That's just that Christina. She would have a completely different career if this if this movie gets made that way. Yep. Uh, Christina Milian as, as Maria. Jake Gyllenhaal as Tony, Ryan Gosling as Riff, uh, Benjamin Bratt as Bernardo, and uh, Penelope Cruz as Anita. Who directs it? Oh. Rob Marshall. Is that what? it is? Oh
0: no! See, that's the question. Is like, is this before or after Chicago? Because when you're talking yeah. periods of movie musicals, there was that like five years after Chicago when everyone was trying to recapture the surprising Chicago. smash of yeah. Chicago. Uh, Spielberg. <laughs>
1: That's fine. you find it then. I, I'm I can deal with that. I mean, I actually I actually thought about that. I was like, what does Spielberg do this in the early 2000s, coming off of like, this is his like first like post 9/11 movie. Hmm. Like he does Catch Me If You Can, Minority Report, and then does this movie.
0: Yeah, I don't know if he's if he's in if he's into his like War of the Worlds aesthetic. Is that at that point it might not work.
1: Well, he does he does Terminal first. He does Terminal okay. first. So i'm just saying like that because it's a very new york movie is this mm-hmm. way it does rap, like this like the like the the reaction in line 9-11 movie yeah is west side story hmm. interesting um so does this film fit with any other genres
0: i mean it it is a drama it's a musical drama uh yeah, yeah. it's a gang movie if that's a it is not, not not a not like a mob movie but like a gang like you know like the like the outsiders and uh
1: it's a Shakespearean adaptation as well.
0: That, that as well. A tragedy.
1: Yeah. It's well, it's I also just like it, it's it's the early version of what becomes Ten Things I Hate About You. Uh yeah. <laughs>
0: all of our all, of our teens. Hip, all of our hip hip teen yeah. uh focus. She's the man Shakespeare adaptations. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. This oh. is kind of the first one. Oh Romeo plus Juliet. Yep. See so this kind of, this kind of predates it all. How does this film fit with any movie musical genre?
0: This is a this is a Titan.
1: Yeah. Titan with Rushmore. (laughs) Mount Rushmore.
0: (laughs) Yeah, especially within specifically, if not not only because it is a very influential musical period, but as a movie musical, it is really one that that says like we're gonna do something different here. Like we've said over and over again, it is a technical achievement in filmmaking, which a lot of times is not paired with a movie musical we have to say like you know and and we've talked about with with like fossey people who were very interested in saying like i want to make a musical but i also want to make my mark on filmmaking but before the 40s 50s that was not as much of a ambition there and i think this was this was a film that really brought about that idea of hey we can make a really interesting movie and also a musical adaptation
1: i think like this and then we'll, we'll talk about later in the month like stanley dodden and and gene kelly and kind of what they do with seeing in the rain and, and those movies i feel like those are kind of ones where it's like this is a movie musical mm-hmm. and not really attached to the broadway stage but i think in terms of adaptations this shows you like oh we can do i like we said before like you can do more than just like tape the version the, the broadway version we can exactly. give, we can use this art form to our advantage to give you something new and fresh and that's what this does yep so so yeah i think that's it on west side story i think i mean that's it that's a good bit of history on west side story <laughs> i feel like i i we, we i went in, went in depth on that one um this month we got a couple things lined up for you we got we're doing across the universe next week thomas's pick we're doing swingy todd demon barbara fleet street later on in the month and we're doing uh, for a director episode we're finishing off with Stanley Donnan, the director, the co-director of Sing in the Rain and It's Always Fair Weather and On the Town, but he also did movies like Seven Brides for Seven, seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Mm-hmm. And he also did Charade. He also did uh, uh, a movie I love called Two for the Road, so a lot of different movies that we'll talk about at the end of the month. So a big month planned. And I hope you guys are excited. But make sure you subscribe to the Nation Podcast on Apple Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever your podcast. And if you haven't already, make sure you rise to review on whatever platform you listen to the show on.
0: Yeah, guys, because when you're a Sin Nation fan, you're a Cine Nation fan all the way from your very first breath <laughs> to your last dying day. So let's get some comments. Let's get some reviews. Let's get some letting people know about it. Spread the word.
1: <laughs> go to Redbubble and buy some merch. We never plugged that, but you feel free to go do that. And the yeah, maybe maybe
0: in honor of you know the the Nation gang we'll get some jackets oh you want want a leather jacket with the Nation logo <laughs> across the logo back we'll the make back. it happen it's not in the shop currently but we can look <laughs> into
1: it we'll do a special order special order leather jackets um and if you haven't already make sure you like us or, or like us on facebook twitter and instagram thomas as always thank you so much for joining me
0: thank you for having me
1: and thank you all for listening we hope you listen to more episodes soon bye